With the Gospel of John, chapter number 4 this morning. John, chapter number 4, and we're going to pick up in verse number 27. You remember last week, if you were here, that we spoke about the woman at the well. And we looked at Jesus' encounter with this, this woman that was an outcast of society. This one that no one else wanted anything to do with. But yet Jesus took the time to sit down on a well and to wait for her to come and to meet her and to meet her true spiritual needs. But we're going to pick up kind of in the middle of that story. the finish. We've just finished Jesus' conversation with this lady. And we begin in verse number 27. And upon this came his disciples. So it's kind of the, the end of the conversation that Jesus has had with this, with this woman at the well. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already the harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon ye bestowed no labor." Other men labored, and ye are entered in to their labors. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We're going to look this morning at the thought of lifting up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. And really, that's the, the driving force behind this part of the passage. As Jesus says to his disciples, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. The first thing that we'll notice, we have to lift up our eyes in regards to is that you and I, like the disciples, we need to lift up our eyes to look beyond prejudices. You'll notice there in verse number 27, it says, Upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. The word prejudice, to have prejudice, is a prejudgment. It's an opinion that is formed without sufficient examination of the facts, a previous bent or bias of mind for or against any person or thing, a predisposition. And so you and I, we have different prejudices in life. And that's just kind of a fact of human nature, that you and I have opinions 
Some of those opinions maybe are not based solely on fact. And so, you know, we, we use prejudices usually just in a very negative sense, but it's really just a bias or a bent of mind. And, and all of us certainly, as humans, we have different biases. We see things and we make snap decisions, we make judgment calls based on, you know, just seeing a couple facts. We read body language, you know, that plays into a lot of how we read people. When you see someone walking up to them, you, you pay attention to their body language. Even if you don't recognize that that's what you're doing, you're reading little cues, maybe you're looking at their appearance, and all of these things change how you and I treat different people. Of course, the disciples, they went beyond just making judgment calls based on body language and this sort of thing. They actually had prejudice based on the ethnicity of this woman. They looked at her because she was a Samaritan and they wanted nothing to do with her. They said, no, she's not worthy of our attention. We won't talk with her. We won't give her the time of day because she's an outcast. She's a dog. That's, that's literally how they referred to the Samaritans. They called them dogs. We want nothing to do with them. And certainly there are people in our, in our day and age, in societies, that are outcasts. They are people that others do not want anything to do with. And so the disciples, they really, they had a hard time with this. They had some hurdles to overcome because they literally had an ethnic prejudice against this woman. And they come on this scene, we're told in verse number 8 that they had gone into the city to buy bread. And they come to this well, they come back to find Jesus, and Jesus is talking with this woman. And you may be familiar with this story, and kind of being familiar with it, it takes away the, the shock that's here. But they come upon this scene, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. And so, literally, that word marvel means a wonder, that which arrests the attention and causes a person to stand and gaze, to pause. And so literally, you have the, the idea of the disciples, they're coming, they've got their bag lunch in their hand, you know, they went down, they found some takeout in Sychar, they found somebody that they could buy some food from, and they're marching back to Jesus, and they're ready, you know, they got the fried chicken, and they, they come around the corner, and there's Jesus standing at this well, talking with this woman, and they stop. And you can picture Peter, he just, he automatically unclenches his hand, the bag lunch falls to the ground, and they're standing there open-mouthed. Jesus, what are you doing? They were marveling. They were amazed. They were shocked that Jesus would stop, that Jesus would talk with the Samaritan woman. They couldn't believe it. Their eyes got big. Their mouths dropped open. They were really, really surprised. But you'll notice it says in that verse 27, even though they were so shocked, yet no man said... What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? They were, they were really amazed, but they didn't want to say anything about it. They didn't want to ask Jesus. They didn't want to ask this woman what was going on, but they were really surprised. They were surprised because of their prejudice. They were surprised because in their minds, they couldn't imagine Jesus doing this. Jesus, why? Why would you talk to this woman and you know, it's sad, really, because think about where the disciples had just been. They were just in the city. We know that from verse number 8. 
Verse number 8 of chapter 4 here, it says, in verse 7, Jesus had sat down on this well. This woman comes to the well. In verse number 8, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So they were literally just in this city. Now we've read the passage. We know that this, this woman has a conversation with Jesus. She leaves her water pot and she goes where? She goes into the city. And she tells them, I found the Messiah. Now wait a second. What are the disciples supposed to be doing? They're disciples of who? They're disciples of Jesus, right? They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has sent them out previously to go and to be a witness. He sent them out to go and to tell others that the Messiah has come. And we, we remember from the end of chapter number 3, beginning of chapter number 4, that Jesus' disciples had been baptizing many. And you'll remember that was the conflict there between John the Baptist and uh, his disciples. They had come and they were really concerned because Jesus was drawing a crowd. There were many people that were coming and were believing on him and being baptized. So the disciples, they knew what their job was. Their job was to proclaim to others, we found the Messiah. Now they, they went into the city, the same city that later this woman goes into. But you'll notice as the disciples come out, it's just them. They didn't bring anyone with them. They didn't tell anyone in the city about the Messiah. They didn't open their mouths about it at all. They had deemed the residents of that city to be unworthy of their witness and their attention. Jesus, by contrast, had deemed this lady very worthy of his time and his attention. And as we will see, as we have seen as we've read these verses, many would end up turning to him because of her. You know, brethren, this morning, you and I are susceptible to the same tendencies towards prejudices that the disciples were. It's easy for you and I to be hard on the disciples, to look at them and say, oh, those no good rascals, they should have been paying attention. They shouldn't have been prejudiced. They should have reached out. But if we're not careful, you and I can fall prey to the same kind of attitudes. You and I may look at other people and judge them to be unwilling to hear or un, even unworthy of hearing based on their ethnicity, their outward appearance, different things that you and I pick up. And we can judge a person and say, oh, they'd never be interested in hearing the gospel of Christ. We can look at someone because of their religion and say, oh, they'd never be interested. They're a Muslim. They would never be interested in hearing about the Bible. They don't believe in it. They don't believe in Jesus, that he's the Messiah. So why should I waste my time? That's the kind of attitude that these disciples had towards the Samaritans. Oh, they're not, they're not interested. They're not worthy. And you and I must be careful to recognize our human tendency toward this and to lift up our eyes and to look beyond. You know, often people that you and I might judge to be uninterested of hearing the gospel, sometimes those are the most interested people. That you and I would look out look at on their outward appearance would tell us, oh, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want anything to do with me. Sometimes those are the people who are hurting the most and who are the most interested in stopping and spending time conversing about the living water that Jesus offers. 
So the disciples and you and I need to lift up our eyes and look beyond prejudice. But second of all, this morning, you and I, we need to lift up our eyes to look beyond the physical. To look beyond the physical. We've referenced verse number 8 several times already. The disciples, they had gone into the city to buy meat. They're men after my own heart. I like meat. I really like smoked meat. And there's not really any meat that I've found that doesn't taste good smoked. I like smoking chicken and pork and beef. I really like eating meat. And vegetables are okay, but I've got to have some meat. And these disciples, you know, they, they were hungry. They'd been walking on a long journey. And, you know, you go on a long journey and you try to pack some snacks. And inevitably, the snacks that you pack, they either run out or you find out, you know, what was I thinking at the grocery store? I should have bought different snacks. These ones aren't satisfying. And so you got to stop and get some more food. And so the disciples, they stopped and they wanted to go get more food. And so they had gone into the city. In verse number 31, we find that they had come back. Well, in verse 27, we find that they had come back to bring the food. And in verse number 31, it says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So this woman that Jesus was talking with, she's gone back into the city. She's told them, come see a man that told me all things ever I did. And these men, they're coming out with this woman to the well. And John includes this little parenthetical statement. He says, in the meantime, the disciples, they're asking Jesus, Jesus, eat. We went into the city. We got you some food, Jesus. We have a sandwich made here for you. We think you're hungry. Eat. And notice Jesus' response to them. It's kind of a, a curious statement. Jesus says in verse number 32, I have meat to eat that ye, not, that ye know not of. So the disciples, they're confused by this, understandably so. In verse 33, they're standing around scratching their head. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? So there's Peter, James, and John, and they're standing around in a circle, and they're like... They're counting. There's 12 of us here. Did one of you guys run out with food and give it to Jesus earlier? Jesus says he's already eaten. They're confused by this. They're trying to figure out where did Jesus get food from? Did somebody else come? Is there another disciple that we don't know about? And he's been following us and he just brought Jesus food? So they're confused by this. Jesus clears up their confusion in verse number 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You see, the, the disciples were so focused on the physical that they had completely missed the spiritual. Jesus was exactly the opposite. Jesus was so focused on the spiritual that he neglected the physical. The disciples were hungry. They were tired in their journey, and they went right for the physical. They said, you know, let's go clear this up. Let's satisfy our hunger. And certainly you and I understand what it is to be hungry. You understand what it is to want to satisfy your hunger. And if you get really, really hungry, you haven't eaten in a couple days, I mean, you get hungry. You want to satisfy that hunger. Jesus here, he was ignoring the physical 
and he was focused on the spiritual. Jesus' number one priority was to do and to finish the Father's will. It was his number one focus to the exclusion of physical things. And you know, you and I are far too often just like the disciples when it comes to our focus. Oh, it happens to us so easily. We we live in this world. We live in a physical world. Hunger is something that comes regularly. I I can usually tell about what time it is based on my belly. Because my belly tells me at noon that it is time to eat. And at 5 p.m. that it's time to eat again. And sometimes even in between then. I'm, I'm very regulated by physical things. All of us are. I like sleep. And I get tired if I don't get enough sleep. These are physical things. And they're not wrong. right? God has created us to need sleep. He has created us to need food. But if you and I aren't careful, we can so easily make the physical the focus. We get caught up in day-to-day life in providing to pay the bills, in providing to have food, in making meals, in making sure that we have the necessary things of life. And we can get so caught up and wrapped up in these things that we forget the spiritual. The physical things can quickly steal our focus and our attention to the point that we miss what is happening around us. I mean, think about this situation. Here is Jesus and the disciples. They're journeying. And Jesus sits down on this well. Now, there's 12 disciples. All of them have to go into the city to buy meat? Really? I guess they were all really concerned to make sure that they got enough food. Now, I kind of understand that, but you would think... Out of 12 disciples, that maybe, just maybe, one of them or two of them would say, Hey, why don't I stay with Jesus and talk with him? Why don't I see what Jesus is up to in this situation? You would think, after walking with Jesus for a while, that you would get the idea that Jesus does things on purpose. Uh, You would think that maybe one of the disciples would be like, Hey, I bet Jesus is staying here for a reason. Let me stay and just see what's going to happen. It might be something pretty neat. But no. And you know, it's easy for you and I to look at the disciples and say, oh, well, you know, they were just really dense. They should have figured it out. But how often do you and I act just like the disciples? We walk through our daily life, and we miss the spiritual opportunities that God lays right in our path. Spiritual opportunities that God gives us to be a witness and a testimony for Him. If you're a child of God this morning, do you really think that God never lays opportunities in your path for you to be a witness and testimony to Him? I don't think so. I think that that God is in the business of reaching souls. I think that if you and I aren't careful, we'll be like the disciples. Our eyes will be completely shut to the needs around us because our eyes are completely focused on the physical, on finding food, on finding shelter, on making sure that our needs are provided for, just like the disciples. And these things aren't wrong, but if you and I don't lift our eyes above them 
If we don't look beyond the physical, then like the disciples, we will not see the spiritual. The disciples had missed out. They needed to lift up their eyes and look beyond the physical. Third of all, this morning, you and I, we need to lift up our eyes to see the waiting harvest. Jesus says here in verse number 35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. You see, as the disciples were standing there, Jesus has been switching back and forth, talking about physical and spiritual. Of course, you and I, we live in a day and age where most of us are not farmers. We might have a garden and get some produce out of that garden, but largely we don't live on that which we grow. In Bible times, of course, things were a little bit different, and most people would have been farmers in one way or another. They would have grown a large portion of their food. They would have been very familiar with farming. Of course, wheat, grain, takes about four months to come to maturity from the time that you plant it. And you can imagine Jesus and the disciples standing there and planting season has just begun. You can just see the tender shoots raising up above the soil. And as they look out among the field, Jesus says unto them, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. In that society, they could have looked at and said, yeah, Jesus, you're right. You know, it's about four months and these fields will be ready for harvest. And Jesus used a physical illustration and then told them to lift up their eyes. He says, guys, instead of focusing on that, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white, all ready to harvest. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't talking about the fields that were surrounding them. There was still four months. They were just starting to show. They weren't ready for harvest yet. What was Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about the spiritual harvest. He was talking about the harvest of souls. Of course, we know that this woman had gone into the city. She had told the men of the city, Come see a man that told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is not this the Messiah? And we know that they come out to see Jesus and you can imagine Jesus standing there talking to the disciples, telling them to lift up their eyes and look on the fields. As a crowd of men start to come out of the city, the city that they had just been in. Undoubtedly, they had seen some of these men. Undoubtedly, they had bought food from some of them. But yet, they had left the city untouched. These men had not heard anything from the disciples, but yet they had heard from one, a woman at the well. The disciples had been stuck looking purely at the physical and missing the spiritual. Jesus drew their attention to the fact that physical harvest was yet four months off, but spiritual harvest was on its way. In somewhat the same vein as before, you and I need to look up beyond the physical to see the waiting harvest. Jesus told the disciples that the spiritual fields were white. They were ripe. They were waiting to be harvested. 
you and I must be careful that we do not miss the harvest opportunities that God brings before us because we're so focused on the now and now. We're so focused on what is in front of us, so focused on what we can see with our physical eyes. We must lift up our eyes and look to him. We need to lift up our eyes to see the waiting harvest. But not only that, last of all this morning, we need to lift up our eyes to see the waiting reward. The waiting reward. Jesus says in verse number 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. You see, there's wages involved. It's easy to get caught up in the physical, in making sure that we have enough money, we have enough food, we have enough shelter to last day to day. It's something that we have to think about just about every day. Jesus said other places in the New Testament to take not thought for tomorrow, not to worry about it, but rather that we should seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus draws the disciples' attention to the fact that he that reapeth receiveth wages. You know, if you go get a job working on a farm, working in harvesting, you get a job driving a combine, and you you drive that thing, you're going to receive wages for that, right? We understand that. You work, you receive some kind of remuneration, some kind of wages. Jesus says that he that reapeth receiveth wages. He's not just talking about physical, though. He's talking about spiritual. You know, there are wages that come to those who are involved in reaping, not only physically, but also spiritually. Jesus apparently points this out because it's something that ought to motivate us. We ought to recognize this. We ought to lift up our eyes beyond the physical and recognize that there is a life that comes after this. There is a life eternal And if you and I are truly children of God, we're truly headed to heaven, we ought to lay up treasure in heaven. One day I want to get to heaven and I don't want to be the poorest person there and say, wow, you know, I really squandered my life that God gave me and I have nothing to show show for it. You know, I got here by the skin of my teeth. My pockets are empty. I wasted my life. I don't want that to be the end. I don't want to show up to heaven and God say, wow, you did a bad job. You're not a faithful servant. I would much rather hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Jesus points out that there are wages. And if you and I will work in reaping, that we can lay up treasure in heaven. Not only that, he says that it brings fruit unto life eternal. If you and I are involved in in spiritual reaping, will bring, bring fruit unto life eternal. You think about spiritual fruit, the reaping that Jesus is talking about, being involved in souls coming to know Him. That's something that lasts for all of eternity. It's a special thing to be involved in someone else coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's no greater joy on earth than to see someone else be birthed into the kingdom of God and to know I had a part of that. That's amazing. That's something that goes beyond this life and lasts into eternity. You know, you and I can lay up treasure here on earth. 
but in the end, you and I are going to die. We're going to enter eternity, and everything that you have here on earth is left for those that are still here to be fought over, to, to fall apart, to rust, to disintegrate, and turn to dust over time. We pour our lives into the things of this life, and quickly they vanish. Quickly they fade to dust. When we die, it's all left. But if you and I lay up wages, if we lay up fruit unto life eternal, when we enter into our reward, it's there. It's waiting for us, and it's there for all of eternity. If you and I are involved in God's harvest fields, we get to be part of reaping fruit unto life eternal. I ask you this morning, what better work is there to be involved in? That's the kind of paycheck that I want. A paycheck that lasts for eternity? A paycheck that the U.S. government can't devalue to the point where it's worthless? Hey, sign me up. I want something that lasts forever. And there's no company on earth that can offer you a lifetime warranty like this. The wages that God pays, they're eternal wages. But not only that, he says that there is rejoicing. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Herein is the saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered in to their labors. There's rejoicing. Certainly here on earth, harvest time is a time of great rejoicing. When there's a bountiful harvest, farmers, you know, once it's all done, harvest time is a very tiring time. My wife's grandfather, he often works driving a grain truck up there in Missouri, and they'll work super long hours, especially when there's a bountiful harvest, trying to get all of that grain in before rains come. But you know, at the end of harvest, as the farmer fills his silos, as he begins to count and see how much has come in, that's a time of rejoicing. A time of great fulfillment to see, hey, you know, this worked out. This year's harvest is a bumper crop. That's exciting, exciting stuff. But you know how much more a spiritual harvest is exciting. To see souls come to know him, to see souls saved, that's a time of great rejoicing. Not only here on earth, but also in heaven. Jesus pointed out that the disciples were getting ready to be part of harvesting that which others had labored to sow. When we think about what the disciples had been doing prior to this journey, they had been involved in baptizing those that had come and believed on Jesus Christ. Those were people that John the Baptist had labored to bring to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God. The disciples, they were just there plucking the ripe fruit. That's fun. It's fun to be involved in seeing a harvest come in, especially when you didn't do much work. You just get to stand there, and it's kind of like going to one of those uh, berry patches where you can... You pick it, and then you go and weigh it. You didn't have to do any work, really. You just get to go, and you get to select the biggest blueberries or the juiciest-looking strawberries and put them in your bucket. You didn't have to do any of the weeding. You didn't have to care for those plants. You just get to go and enjoy 
the fruits of your labors, of just picking, dropping it in your basket. That's my kind of harvest, right? You didn't have to do all the really hard work. That's what the disciples were getting ready to be part of with the men that were coming out of the city of Sychar. This lady had entered into the city, and she had testified of Jesus. The disciples, they'd come back with lunch. She came back with the city. She brought the men of the city out to meet Jesus. The disciples had just come back with some fried chicken or something like that. I don't know what they ate in that day. It wasn't pork. We know that. They'd come back with food, but she had come back with the city. Verse number 30, 39 says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified he told me that all, all that ever I did. So there were many folks in that city that heard her testimony, and they believed. They heard what she had to say, and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And, you know, this is a good time for me to put a little plug in. If you're truly saved, if you've been born again, you have a testimony of salvation, your testimony is a powerful, powerful witnessing tool, especially with friends and family, to go and to tell them of the work that Jesus Christ has done in your life, to point them to him. That's a powerful thing. And, you know, I'd encourage you to write up your testimony. I have my testimony track printed up. My wife does as well. And it's, it's just in a little track that we can hand to other people. And it gets indoors that, you know, people wouldn't receive other literature. And no, this is just my story of how God has worked in my life. And that's powerful with people. There were many people in that city of Sychar that came to know Jesus just because of the testimony of this lady. And how Jesus had changed her life. But not only that. You'll see what else happened. It says, So when the Samaritans were come unto him, verse number 40, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That must have been pretty exciting. That must have been pretty neat, to be there with Jesus as this whole group of men come out of the city and say, Jesus, would you stay here? Would you tell us about who you are? And then you see as they begin to trust in him, as they become born again, as they put their faith and trust in him, that would have been an exciting, exciting time. And doubtless Jesus and the disciples and these that had come to him, they rejoiced at the goodness of of God. This morning, you and I, we need to lift up our eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. You know, just as in Jesus and the disciples' day, there are many in our world that need to know him, that need to come and drink of the living waters. This woman's life had been transformed by the power of of Jesus Christ. She had gone from a woman who was seeking after the things of this world to fill a void in her heart to one who had found the living waters that she may never thirst again. She had gone into the city and found her friends 
and brought them to Jesus. This morning, may you and I not be like the disciples. May we not get caught up in the the physical, the things of this world, to the point that we miss what's going on. That we miss opportunities that are all around us to be a witness and testimony. You know, you and I, we can fall prey to prejudices. We can make judgment calls of those that are around us and think, oh, well, they're not interested in hearing the gospel. That's probably the most common prejudice that you and I would have when it comes to sharing the gospel. Think of your coworkers and say, well, they would never be interested in hearing about what God has done in my life. Oh, they wouldn't allow me to talk about that in this workplace. We can make these kind of judgment calls and be just like the disciples have prejudices. You and I can get caught up in the physical. We can get caught up in day-to-day life and miss what is going on spiritually in people's lives. You and I can get caught up in the physical harvest, in providing for physical needs and miss those around us that God is working in their hearts and lives. And you and I can get so caught up in laying up treasure here on earth that we miss the reward that God offers to us if we will get involved in his work. This morning, if you're here today and you haven't come to the place of putting your faith and trust in him, if you've never come to the place that this woman at the well came to, or these men who came from the city, may I invite you this morning to look to Jesus. You know, these, these men of Samaria, these men of the city of Sychar that came out, they came and they sat at the feet of Jesus and they found him to be the Messiah. They found him to be the one that they were looking for. They found him to be the one that offered living water. This hasn't been a salvation message this morning, but Jesus offers to all of us salvation if we will but turn to him. Primarily this morning, this message has been to those of us who do know him. May we live for him. May we lift up our eyes and look on the fields. As the pianist comes, we'll have a brief time of invitation. And I ask you this morning, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, what would he have you do? What are the things in front of you that your eyes so easily focus on? Each one of us ought to be about the Father's business. Each one of us needs to lift up our eyes to look on the fields. I believe that the fields around you and I today are still white, all ready to harvest. I think that Jesus didn't just leave the disciples this admonition and it was just for them. I think it still goes for you and I today. That we can get caught up in the things of this life. And miss the purpose that God has for us. May that never be said of you or I. May we lift up our eyes. May we get involved in what God has for us. And may we reap eternal wages 